Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1 in the Bible. If you're all right today, say amen. Amen. Two weeks ago, we started a study through the book of Ruth. From hurt to hope. We started in chapter 1, and and it's very, very gloomy, very dark. A lot of suffering going on. In fact, I've themed chapter 1 under this heading, Hope in Suffering. We looked at verses 1 through 5 and studied the life of Elimelech and his response to suffering. Now the narrator of the story of Ruth is going to take us on a journey through Naomi's response to her suffering. What I want to do this morning is read the text at large. It's going to be on the screen if you didn't bring your Bible. I want you to get the entire narrative as a big picture. And then we'll break it down this morning for us to understand and help us. Through our suffering. And begin in verse number 5 of Ruth chapter 1. And Malon and Kilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have an husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, or no, my daughters. For it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, We'll study this next week. Entreat me not to leave thee, but to return from following after thee. This is beautiful. For whither thou goest, I will go. Whither thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. Thy God, my God. Where thou diest, will I die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So they too, that's Ruth and Naomi, went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi. Call me Mara. The Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her. 
which returned out of the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. The text before us really is a case study on what it looks like to go from pleasant to bitter. I get that out of verse number 20, whenever Naomi decided to go back to her homeland and she saw her friends and they said, Naomi. And she said, don't call me Naomi. You remember what that means? Pleasant one. That's what her name means. She's a pleasant lady. She said, don't call me that any longer. I got a new name. Mara. You know what that means? Bitter. Go to the Old Testament, bitter waters of Mara. I'm not pleasant anymore. I'm bitter. This isn't a positive narrative, by the way. It chronicles one woman's journey through a season of very deep suffering. And so the message is kind of broken down into two headings and answers two big questions. First, we're going to examine why Naomi's bitter suffering was so hard. What made it so bitter? What made it so, 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 so difficult? Then we're going to examine Naomi's bitter response. We're going to examine why she chose to become Mara. And we're going to answer this question, what does bitterness look like in our life? When we're displaying that on the outside during a season of suffering. I want to say up front that the message is not about being hard on Naomi. We, we just want to learn from her. That's it. I don't want you to put a magnifying glass on Naomi's life. So as to condemn her for her response in suffering. I want you to put a magnifying glass on your own heart. I want you to put yourself in the biblical script. I want you to ask yourself, if I was Naomi and I suffered through what she suffered, how would I be prone to respond? Because being removed thousands of years from the biblical script, it's easy for us to pick up stones and throw them at Naomi and say, what a bitter woman. But as I placed myself in the biblical script all week in the study, you know whose shoes I found myself in? Naomi's. Where if I suffered what she suffered, I would probably be tempted, I would be tempted to respond like she responded. So as we examine this, I want it to be a mirror. I want you to see yourself for who you really are. I want to begin talking about Naomi's bitter suffering. The first part of the message is implied in the text. It's not stated outright like the second part of the message. So not a whole lot of verses I'll cover, but it's a backdrop to why her suffering was so difficult. You need to understand why this wasn't just a, a head cold, a hangnail, a hard day at work. This was deep, deep, deep suffering. And it was deep, and it was hurtful, and it was bitter for three reasons. Number one, she suffered because of the sinful choice of another person. That's why it hurt. She didn't choose it herself. One day, she was pleasantly, Naomi, pleasantly living in Bethlehem, Judah, a place of spiritual significance and blessing. The name Bethlehem met house of bread. It was previously before the famine known as a place where God would provide for his people in extraordinary ways. She wasn't part of just Bethlehem, God's land. She was also part of the tribe of Judah within Bethlehem, and Judah meant praise. So she was part of a tribe that centered its focus on the praise and worship of the Almighty God. She was a blessed woman. Had a godly husband at that time and had, had two sons to her name, so her heritage and legacy would continue. 
But Israel sinned. God judged them with a famine, which was a severe scarcity of food and crops. Elimelech got desperate and decided to run from God during his season of suffering and uprooted his family to a place that God cursed. Moab. A place that God called my wash pot. A place that served the false god Shemosh, which encouraged the practice of child sacrifice. Elimelech, why did you do that? Well, his justification was simple. It's only going to be short term. Just a couple of months until the crops recover. So I can get food on the table for my boys and my wife again. But what, what was meant to be a short-term journey ended up being a permanent residence. So much so that they stayed there at least 10 years. Elimelech died there. Kilion died there. Uh, Malon died there. Here's why it's so difficult for Naomi. She's left by herself, watch here, a Jew in Moab. Moabites didn't like Hebrew people. They oppressed them. So it's not a good place for her to be by herself without the protection of a husband. On top of that, she was a woman. This is a patriarchal society. It's hard enough being a woman to a husband in a patriarchal society, but it's really hard being a woman without a husband in a patriarchal society. I'm glad the United States of America isn't like that today. But that's very much the way the culture was in the Middle East then, and still is in some regards in radical uh, different, different sects of the Middle East today. So Naomi is left as a widow in a pagan godless land that didn't care about her people, and she's left only with two pagan daughter-in-laws. Why did she experience all this? Because of the sinful choice of her husband. She did not bring this upon herself. I wonder if there are some here this morning that are suffering the consequences of somebody else, somebody else's foolish or sinful or selfish choice. He left you. She cheated on you. A family member lied about you. You lost your job and didn't even get a reason why. Your parents divorced and you still have the scars from that. Your mom was an angry person. Your dad was an alcoholic. You were abused sexually or physically or verbally and you can hear those things rattling around in your head and plaguing you to this day. Sat with a family in our church a couple weeks ago and got to hear the testimony. The wife in the house and she gave me a very detailed background of how she was raised in a very abusive home. Where, where the man that her mom was married to got drunk and would literally get on top of her mom. And Would it not have been for this lady who I was visiting with as, 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 as a young girl going and jumping on this man's back and restraining him, this man would have killed her mother. She remembers that like it was yesterday. Sees the pictures in her mind in full color, HD. And there are others that when you hear a loud noise, it brings you back to somebody's sinful choice. When you're around certain type of men, it brings you to that point. When somebody bullies you, it brings you and reminds you of how you were raised. And so now your guard is up. 
And now you don't like to trust anybody. And now you don't like to let people close because you're suffering from the sinful choices of another person. That's where Naomi was. There's a second aspect of her suffering that made it so bitter, and it was this. She suffered a series of successive losses. Do you understand that it started with just losing her home? Come on, Naomi, we're leaving. Where? Moab. Moab, Elimelech. No, I doubt she was even allowed to do that. Patriarchal society, she probably just said, let's go, boy. But in her heart, and you know, women, this is important, she was leaving her stability, her familiarity, her friends in the community, uprooted to a, a godless place called Moab. And, and that was a loss in and of itself. But then while she was there, her husband died. Now she's a widow. We have some ladies in here whose husbands have already went to heaven. And you know the pain of that. Have some husbands in here whose wives have already went to heaven. And you know the pain of losing a spouse. And on top of that, her two boys died. Some of you know the pain of a miscarriage. Of a stillborn baby. Of a child that drowned. You know the pain of that. So I, I want you to understand the depth of this. This is one loss after another. This isn't a bad day at work. This isn't a Monday morning where you got up late. This is, this is her, her children. And if that loss isn't enough, that meant one thing to Naomi. Her seed, her heritage would not be continued. She, she suffered when her, when her husband was, 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 or died and she had to bury him, but she still had the hope of her boys. Now she doesn't have the hope of her boys. Can you imagine this? Some called Naomi the female Job of the Bible. One loss after another. And sometimes that happens in our life, doesn't it? My wife, is, is suffering from a series of successive health losses. She's at home right now in the fetal position with a kidney stone. She got five days ago, has got to get surgery to remove it, upon having a terrible summer of Crohn's flare-ups, upon having a, a, a number of unmentionable things that I won't even talk about that go along with that disease and other things. And, and I've watched in her life just these... I, I've looked to the heavens and I've said this, I said it at my kitchen table yesterday morning, God... Can we get a win? Give my wife a breather. There's not a nicer person on the face of the earth. I know a lot of mean, catty, bossy women that need a kidney stone. <laughs> Don't look to your wife. Or to your mother-in-law. And some of you know what it's that like. It happens with your kids. They get sick, and then your aging parent gets sick. Just one thing after another. And some, it's just the stresses of life. Your dishwasher goes out, no big deal, it's part of life. But then the car dies. Then the air conditioner goes out. And, and, and then all, all, all of a sudden, you drop your phone in the toilet. And you're like, you can live with that, but when it's an accumulative effect, that's when it's hard. 
You get a new boss at work, and, and it's stressful, and, and you can deal with that. That's life. It'll, you'll adjust. But then when you go from the stress of work to the stress of home, and things aren't right there, and then you get a bad report card for your kid, and now it's stress at school. And then you come to church, and you're at odds with somebody, so there's stress there. And then an adult sibling, sibling is mad at you for some crazy reason. And things are just successive losses. Are you with me? This is where she's at. But there's a third reason. She suffered apart from her covenant community. There were no temples there in Moab. No centers of worship where she could go and bear her heart and find peace. There was no priest or judge from whom she could solicit counsel. There were no sisters in Christ that she was on a Facebook group with. Nobody she could text. It's like, I come to your house and just been a little bit. No small group, no ladies Bible study. None of the which through which she could find fellowship and prayer and support. When Elimelech uprooted her from Bethlehem, Judah, he also uprooted her from her covenant community of believers. I've often said, Brother Mike, I've often said this, that, that, that it's, it's one thing to, to suffer with a church family. It's a whole other thing to suffer apart from your church family. And I, I, I've often said this, I don't know how people get through the sufferings of life without a church family. I don't get it, I don't understand it. The truth is a lot of them don't. And can I just take a moment to encourage you today that this is one of the reasons why you ought to work hard at forging deep relationships within your church family. Because you never know when suffering's going to come your way. And you're going to need a covenant of believers to pray with you and come around you and even at times lay hands on you and, and, and to counsel you and to walk with you and just come over to your house to listen to you vent. You're going to need sisters in Christ and brothers in Christ and a pastor to shepherd you through the valley of the shadow of death. But if, if all you have is an artificial, superficial, fringe relationship at Fellowship Baptist Church and suffering comes and you look around and say, where's my church family? Don't be surprised. If you don't serve and you don't get involved and you don't come on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights and you don't, you, you, you don't do what you need to do to forge deeper relationships within a covenant of believers here, don't be surprised when they feel distant during the hard times of life. It's because they are. We're not standoffish, it's just that we don't know you. Are you with me? We love you, but we don't know you. And by the way, when you suffer... Don't walk away from church. Get to church. Ask somebody three weeks ago. Man, I sure am missing you. Yeah, my life is just tough. Why don't you come to church? I don't know. Every time I go there, I'm just kind of, I just get on edge. I know that it can bring different emotions for different people during different seasons of suffering in your life. But let me explain to you something. When you feel like you need church the least is when you actually need it the most. Amen. Get in God's house. That's where she was. She was suffering as a result of someone else's choice. She was suffering a series of successive losses. And then she was suffering apart from her covenant community. She didn't choose any of this. But watch here. She now had a choice. 
All of this has climaxed to an opportunity for her to choose her response because our response is always our responsibility. And unfortunately, you read it. She chose to respond in bitterness. Call me Mara. So how did that display itself? Well, the narrator chooses to use the bulk of our text to show us how that that response of bitterness expresses itself on the outside in several ways. Write this down. Number one, she chose to repel people instead of receive people. So when Naomi decided to leave Moab and go back to Bethlehem, we read it, we're going to read it again, her two daughters-in-law followed her. They had every intention on going to Bethlehem with her, yet four separate times in verses 7 through 15, Naomi told them to stay in Moab. Look at verse 7. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. So there's one time. Verse 9, The Lord grant you that you may find rest in each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. They're persistent. Here's the second time. Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husband? Skip verse 12 and, and go to verse number 13. Verse 12 is the third time. Turn again, my daughters. Verse 13, she gives a hypothetical situation. Skip down to verse 15. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Now she tells Ruth, Return thou after thy sister-in-law. Look up here. It's practical. It's responsible. And it's even logical for Naomi to express to her daughters-in-law the inevitable difficulty that will come as a result of them going back to Bethlehem. It would have been as difficult for Moabitess women, widow women, to live in Bethlehem as it would be for a widowed Hebrew woman to live in Moab. They're saying, you don't want what I've had the last 10 years. So, 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 so it's, it's dangerous. But where she went wrong is encouraging them, encouraging them, commanding them to stay in a wicked, pagan, heathen land. That doesn't make any sense. She's repelling the good intentions of those that God has put in her life. And consider this. She's repelling the good intentions of the one, Ruth, who went back to Bethlehem despite her mother-in-law's persistent commands not to, but she's repelling the very one that would be the, the center of hope for her future. If you know the story of Ruth, we'll get there. It's an amazing ending. And Ruth is right in the center of it. She's right in the pocket of it. And I have found that bitter people do the same exact thing. We do it. We repel the good intentions of people that God sends into our life to help us through a season of suffering. Good people come to ask, us and say, hey, you want to hang out? No. You want to talk about it? No. What's wrong? Nothing. Don't return our text. Don't come to church. You okay? I'm fine. Are you sure? Yeah. Can I do anything? Too late for that. We need to be careful about that because some of those godly people that God sends in your life during seasons of suffering are part of his providence for your future. 
They're God's hand picking up that godly individual and putting them in your path to help you walk through seasons that you are not meant to walk through alone. So if you're repelling people instead of receiving people that God's sending your way, it's a good sign that you're responding in bitterness. Secondly, she chose to be negative instead of being positive. I want you to look at verse 12. Check this out. Turn again, my daughters. Go your way. For I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait or tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? <laughs> no, my daughters. For it grieves me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Did you see what Naomi did there? She articulated the best case scenario that she could think of, which is purely hypothetical and frankly too good to be true, but even her best case scenario was negative. You know you're in a good place emotionally and spiritually when you're thinking of good things for your life and dreaming up good things for your life and, and, and you know these imaginations might be too good to be true, but they're still good. And you're thinking, man, I think God's going to do this. I think God can do this. I, I think God will lead in this way. Here's where you know you're negative. If your best case scenario you can dream up is still an impossibility in your mind. She imagined that, that, that in her old ages, she met a man back in Bethlehem, got remarried, had another child. She said, I, I could do that. It's impossible, but I could do that. But even if I did that, listen, Ruth, listen, Orpah, you wouldn't wait around for my sons anyway. So just go about your way. She's negative. And we do the same thing when we're bitter. And usually the phrase in our minds begins with these words, even if. So we say, even if I apologize, nothing will ever change. Even if I found the perfect doctor, he couldn't help me either. Even if I got a better job, they'll probably take me for granted too. Even if I do get a raise or even if I do get a better paycheck from a better company, then something else will just come up. You know you've chosen bitterness when your spirit and attitude is chronically negative. Number three, she chose to blame God instead of trust God. Look at verse 19. So they too went until they came to Bethlehem, and it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. They said to this thing, Naomi, and she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, Call me Mara. Watch here. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi? Seeing the Lord hath testified against me and the Almighty hath afflicted me. She said the Lord testified against me. That's a legal term. Where a prosecuting attorney will bring in witnesses to testify against the would-be criminal. To spill out the evidence. To testify against the one they're trying to prosecute. And she, she gives God the picture or the role of a prosecuting attorney, and we're, we're sitting there on the stand. We're the criminal. She's the criminal. And God is laying out all this evidence and bringing all these witnesses to accuse her. In other words, like a prosecuting attorney, God's me. He's out to get me. He wants nothing good for me. If he did, this wouldn't have happened, because he's the only person in all the world that could have stopped this, and he didn't. He's the only person in all the world that could have prevented my husband and my two sons from dying, but he didn't. In fact, he brought the famine in the first place. Have you ever felt like what you're going through is God's fault? 
You all can polish your halos if you want, but I felt like that before. If you haven't, perhaps you haven't been in something deep enough. And you will. I'm talking about a series of successive losses beyond your control. I'm talking about things that are a result of somebody else's choices that still haunt you to this day. And you cannot get over them. I'm talking about seasons of loneliness. And greatly disappointed expectations. And broken marriages. And miscarriages. And broke finances. And a terrible job. And an incurable disease. And a sudden tragic death of a loved one. I'm talking about in deep, deep valleys when if we're honest in our mind, even if we don't say it out loud, we still might come to church. But even if our mind we're thinking, God, if you were good, why? If you loved me, if you really cared about my family, why? I never, Brother Mike, I never sympathized with this struggle until my brother died. I went through some difficult things up to that point. None that affected me so deeply as this. Where I went through the cycle that people talk about, I don't know if I got this right, this is how it went for me. I was shocked. Then I was sad. Then I was confused. Then I was frustrated. Then I got angry. And I went and sang praises and got around good people and went to church and prayed. And then on Monday, the cycle started again. And I was shocked. And so on and so forth. And then one of his kids had a birthday. And the cycle started again. Brother Troy, the cycle started again. And there are times when I know better, but I would think in my heart, like Naomi, God, are you testifying against my family? Why are you going to leave a godly woman with three kids under the age of nine without a daddy, a daddy who loved you and served you and gave his life back to you after running from you? Why are you doing this? Are you testifying against me? And I want to share with you Romans 8. That helps me overcome these thoughts. And when you have these thoughts, you need to read these verses. Amen. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us. I said, if God be for us. Who can be against us? Next verse. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Or a funeral? Or a miscarriage? Or infertility? Or brokenness? Nay. That's the King James word for no. Sorry. It means no in all these things. That's a good no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. It gets better. For I am persuaded, that means my mind is made up, 
that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from what? The love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I know, like, I know it feels like God's testifying against you. I know it feels like God's out to get you sometimes. I know you can't reconcile in your mind that if he's a loving you, good God, why does he let this happen? Go to Romans 8 and remind yourself that he is for you, not against you. He loves you. He doesn't hate you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. If you're thankful, clap or say amen or say hallelujah. Quit acting like a Baptist for a second. It's too good for me to be quiet about. See, you've got to remind yourself of Bible truth or you'll go to a really, really, really bitter place. Can I give you one more? We'll be done. She chose to focus on what she lost instead of focusing on what she had left. Verse 21, she told all her friends a lie. She said, I went out full out of Bethlehem. And the Lord hath brought me home again, empty. Question, did she go back to Bethlehem empty? No. We'll study this in chapter 4, verse 3. She actually had a parcel of land that she inherited from Elimelech that she was going back to, so she went completely empty. But more significantly than that, she had at her very side a daughter-in-law who has pledged undying loyalty to her in verses 16 and 17. We'll discuss that next week. Can you imagine how Ruth felt when she heard her mother-in-law say, I've got nothing? Mom? Uh, Mom? Call me Mara. I'm empty. God's taken everything away. Uh, Mom? You know what it said to Ruth? She didn't mean anything to Naomi at that moment. And, and if she did mean anything to Naomi, she was an embarrassment at best. She didn't even want to mention that her Moabitess daughter-in-law yielded undying loyalty to her God. Sacrificed her home and familiarity to come as a widow in God's land as a Moabitess woman. She didn't want to brag on that because she overlooked it. All she could think about was what she didn't have left. For Seven and a half years, we tried to have a second child. Jenny got pregnant. And then she miscarried a couple weeks later. And it's like pulling the rug out from a woman when that happens. But especially after seven and a half years of trying, it's just a humongous surprise. And here was our struggle. All the way through this, here was our struggle. Overlooking Kevin Kent Prater, our eight-year-old son, who the doctor said we never had. Overlooking what God did give us. Because God in his providence chose to take something away. And I know some of you want a bigger house. I know it. You've wanted one for so long you stopped thanking God for the roof that's over your head. Some of you want a better car. Some of you need a better car. Let's be real. Some of you need another car. You've overlooked the fact you're, you're in the top 1%, 3% of the world in terms of wealth. There are people in other parts of the world that don't even know how to drive a car. 
I know it's hard to start in the winter. I know you can't afford another one. For as long as it starts, thank God that it does. I know God has taken away some things from some people in our church that I've cried about. I get that. But he hasn't taken away everything from you. Some of you still have something. You know you're bitter if all you can focus on is what you lost. If the narrative ended right here, it would have been the saddest message I've ever preached. Because the writer has been very hard on Naomi, highlighting her expressions of bitterness. But he, he, he gives us one phrase, three words, that give us a glimmer of hope. And if we overlook these three words at the end of chapter one, here's what happens. We miss the, the hinge that the rest of the story swings on. Bring it up there, Brother Dustin. I might have skipped some things. That's okay. Just follow me. So, Naomi. Next word. Returned. Are you getting me? She didn't stay in Moab. As a bitter woman... She could have done that. Was she bitter? Yep. Was she broken? Yep. Was she angry? Yep. Did she suffer? Yes. Was she right with God? Not really. Was she in a perfect state of mind? Were all her ducks in a row? Nope. She was still pointing her finger at God, but she still went back to Bethlehem. Which tells me that you can come back to God broken. You can come back to God bitter. You can come back to God seemingly empty and angry. And how many people do we talk to that says, I, I'll come back to God when I get my act together. You've got to have God to get your act together. And so my invitation is pretty hopeful here at the end. You still have a choice. I know your circumstances are bitter. And here's the overall theme of the text. Your circumstances might be bitter, but you don't have to be. But if you are, come back to Bethlehem. I will when I'm ready. No. No. You'll never feel ready. Well, I need time. Time doesn't heal every wound. And so come back to a good and gracious God. If you're wagging your finger at him, come back. I don't care if you're physically doing this on the way to the altar today. Come back. Why, Brother Tyler? Because God can't change your heart in Moab. Naomi, did. she came back a bitter woman. But at least she came back to the place where God could make her into what she used to be. So maybe you need to make a trip to the altar today, just as you are. And the songwriter said, 
I come broken. I come mended. I come wounded to be healed. I come desperate to be rescued. I come empty to be filled. I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb. And I'm welcomed with open arms. Praise God, just as I am. A lot has happened in the service today, hadn't it? Every time someone gets up and walks out and walks in, everybody's nervous today. I've seen just like whiplash. Rightfully so. But God had a message for somebody in here today. Because some some of you are Mara. And you used to be Naomi. And you don't have to be Naomi to come back. Come back as Mara so the good grace of God can turn you back into Naomi. Stand to your feet, every head bowed and every eye closed.